You may remember in 2016, Tim McGraw had a very popular hit, Humble and Kind. I believe it got the song, Country Music Song of the Year from the Grammys that year and a number of other awards throughout that year. And there was something about that song that really resonated with a lot of people. I believe that whenever Tim McGraw released the song, uh, it was just a few months before that, that he sent off his firstborn to college. And you can hear the tones in the song. It, it sounds like a parent giving advice to their child, but advice that would prepare them to live a good moral life. But I find it interesting how even on a secular level, the world can, at least right now, we can appreciate and even celebrate the virtues of humility and kindness. That you really don't have to be religious in order to recognize that humility and kindness are important. They go a long way. In fact, most of us, whenever we encounter someone who has a sense of arrogance about them, we usually don't like that too much. People that kind of come off as uppity or self-righteous or pompous, those kind of people typically don't have a great reputation. There's something about arrogance that doesn't sit well with us. And today, in the readings, I think on, the, on a surface level, it's, it's quite clear and pretty obvious that Tim McGraw didn't make up humility and kindness, that this kind of goes back to the original teachings of Judeo-Christian values. It's all throughout Scripture, but particularly in today's readings. We have it in the first reading, it's very blunt and clear to be humble. And today's gospel, Jesus kind of gives two parables in which he gives the importance of humility in one and charity in the other. The first, he is at a wedding banquet and he says, if you invite someone to your wedding banquet, or if you are invited to a wedding banquet, don't choose the highest place of honor. Assume the lowest place so that you can then be invited up because otherwise, what if there's someone more distinguished than you? You will be embarrassed when they bring you back down. So even on a secular level, if you, uh, a good reason to pursue humility is so that you won't be embarrassed whenever someone more important than you is there. All right. And then he turns to the host of the party and he says, when you throw a party, don't invite wealthy people. Don't invite people that are important. Don't invite people that can repay you. Invite people who can't repay you. The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. So be charitable, in other words. Do it for a higher reason, not for, um, not for honor and, and, and pride. I do believe, though, that there is something a little bit deeper going on in these passages. So we can definitely um, recognize and, and, and celebrate the importance of humility and kindness, and we should all grow in those two virtues. So let that be said, and let's all be challenged in that. But I do believe there's something a little bit deeper that's going on in this passage. At first hand, Jesus tells a parable about a wedding banquet. St. Luke is very intentional here in the gospel to use that term. And this imagery of wedding banquet is brought up quite often throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. We see these images of a wedding feast identifying with heaven. 
that one of the best images for heaven is a wedding celebration. We even see that even in other places in the Gospel of Luke, which is where our passage comes from today. A few chapters earlier, Luke chapter 12, there's a parable about servants awaiting their master's return for the wedding banquet. In fact, you may remember that was just a few weeks ago for our Sunday homily. And even earlier in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is attending a feast with Levi and He refers to himself as a bridegroom. Of course, Jesus was not married in the natural sense, but yet he referred to himself as a bridegroom in a number of different passages throughout Scripture. Even further, what we see is the very first line of today's gospel, there is this phrase, it says, on a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine with Pharisees. And the Greek word used to dine can literally be translated as eat bread. So in other words, on a Sabbath, Jesus went to eat bread, and then he tells a parable about a wedding feast, which kind of foreshadows our future experience of the Mass, where we eat a supernatural bread, and within this context, experience the eschatological, messianic, heavenly wedding banquet. That's what Mass is all about, a foreshadowing of heaven, and a true participation in the divine life on our way to heaven. And so what's really going on here, of course, there's the lesson, the moral lesson of humility and kindness. There's also a, an eschatological lesson. That's a big fancy word for end times, but in the good sense of end times, a good fancy word for like heavenly realities. There's the fact that Jesus is revealing to us something deeper about heaven, that it is a wedding banquet The host, God himself, is someone who is charitable, reaching out to people that cannot pay God back, reaching out to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, to invite them to the kingdom of heaven. And the guests, that's us, we accept his invitation, but we don't go into this wedding banquet with pride and presumption. We come with humility. And the same is true for our experience at Mass. So to make this a little bit more concrete, I want you to honestly evaluate yourself with this question. When you come to Mass, how much pride do you bring with you? Let's make that a little more sticky. So how much pride do you bring with you on the way to Mass? Pride, we know, is the mother of all sins. And at the end of the day, every single sin that we commit could probably trace its roots back down to pride. But one of the ways that pride might manifest itself in our experience at Mass is through one of two extremes, perhaps the sin of presumption or perhaps the sin of despair. And I'll get to both. I'll unpack both of those for you a little bit further. 
perhaps with your pride, maybe you come to Mass with a sense of presumption, where you have a real clear understanding that God is merciful, and you go all in on that to the point of laziness and neglect of recognizing the gravity of your own sin. Some of us come to Mass and and we just say, yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Haven't killed anybody this year, so I should be all right. And look, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone here, but, but it's, it's amazing how culturally many of us, we, we kind of, for some reason, believe that the fifth commandment is the only commandment, thou shalt not kill. And as long as you don't kill, you're good. But there are nine other commandments that most of us break often. But many of us are giving in to that temptation of presumption where we really don't even take our lives too seriously enough. Our faith is not important to us enough to take the reality of sin seriously enough in our life. And so we just kind of, yeah, God's merciful. We've seen 19th, I mean, 21st century artwork, whatever, 20th century artwork of Jesus who kind of looks like a woman and he's real kind and merciful. And we just believe that he's like this guru Buddhist guy that is just really soft and doesn't really care about what we do with our lives. That's one challenge. Sometimes with our pride, we overemphasize God's mercy to the sense of forgetting that it even matters in the first place. The other end of the spectrum, and it's still a sense of pride that brings us here. Some of us are deeply aware of our sinfulness, deeply aware of the struggle of how hard it is to really be holy, how hard it is to give our life to God. And some may err on the side of despair, where they are so overcome by the heaviness and weight of their sinfulness. Maybe they've gone to confession so many times and they feel like they say the same thing over and over again. And they start to give in to this temptation of despair to the point where they really forget that God is merciful. They're aware of the reality of sin, but they lose sight of the true goodness of God's mercy. And I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, Because we're all imperfect, fallen, and sinful, we all have pride to some degree. And we all perhaps err on one side or the other. So what I want to challenge us to do is to strive for that virtue of humility. You see, humility is the beginning of so many other virtues. It's the beginning of charity. Humility has a confidence about it. Sometimes we think of humility as weakness or humility as hatred for ourself. That's not exactly true. Humility is recognizing the truth of who we are. The good news about the truth of who we are is that if you are baptized, you are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter and and in an heir to the throne of the kingdom. And there is a confidence about that. There's a security. There's a a strength about that. But at the same time, as we hold that reality true, we also have to be honest that we still sin. 
that we're not all that. That the world doesn't turn about, that we're not, the world is not all about us. And so what we are striving for is a humble confidence, somewhere in between presumption and despair. And I believe it's possible. If you struggle with presumption, if maybe you haven't really thought about your sins in a while or years, maybe you honestly believe that you are a good person and you really just don't sin much. If that's your struggle, my challenge to you is just to read an examination of conscience. Google it, examination of conscience. There's a million, op- there's a million options out there. But let's start there. Let's just read through it. In fact, I have one, for those that don't like computers, I have one already printed out right by the confessional. There's a stack. You can take one home if you need. Let's start there just to be self-aware of the reality of, it might be enlightening for many of us. If you feel like, oh, you don't have any sins, my challenge to you is saints like Mother Teresa, Padre Pio, and John Paul the Great, They went to confession every week. Do you honestly believe that you're holier than them? If you are, I can't wait to meet you. And I can't wait to learn from you. But they examined their conscience and they were were aware of their sinfulness. So if you struggle with that, I challenge you, go home and read an examination of conscience. Do it in, in prayer. You know, like make it a prayerful experience. If you have to come to the church or go to a nearby chapel, But pray about that. If you struggle on the side of despair, maybe you're aware of your sin, maybe you're burdened with shame, maybe a particular sin in your past, maybe you do go to confession, my challenge to you is to embrace the divine mercy um, devotion. Learn more about divine mercy. That simple prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. At the center of divine mercy is an invitation to go to confession. So, of course, if you haven't gone to confession, we're ready for you. It's a place of victory and not a place of judgment. But confession and mercy, it's, it's all cheap if we don't first examine our conscience. It doesn't really mean much if we don't actually think about our sins. But once we do, let's embrace the reality that God's mercy is his favorite attribute. It's all throughout Scripture, and he even revealed that to St. Faustina. His favorite attribute is mercy. So do not let your pride keep you in one of these extremes. Instead, with humility, we come with confidence to meet God our Father, Jesus Christ our Lord, at the eschatological, messianic, heavenly wedding banquet right here at Mass, where we break bread, super substantial divine bread, together. And this experience, as we approach with humble confidence, prepares us to enter the heavenly wedding banquet in eternity. I'll close with this. In a few moments, as we're doing the Eucharistic prayer, uh, right before we receive communion today, we're going to say that prayer Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I believe this is one of the most perfect examples of humble confidence. 
it really brings humility and charity right there together. Um, humility and confidence. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter into my roof, under the roof of my tongue. Under the, I'm not worthy to actually receive you in the most holy Eucharist because you are God and I'm not. What a crazy reality that this is even possible. None of us are worthy. But yet, only say the word and my soul shall be healed. With confidence, I trust that you will be generous. I trust that you are merciful. I trust that even though I'm theoretically not worthy, you will make me worthy by your mercy. And as long as I've gone to confession and I'm clean of grave sin, I'm ready to receive you with humble confidence. So I want to invite you to let those words sink in today. As we say in the Mass, let it, let it be different today. Maybe you can meditate on that short phrase as we go on with our week. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Amen. Thank you.